Oh man, I don't think you guys understand what you're getting today. This is the Giannis Antetokounmpo of all episodes. You get the pun soon. The Movement of Color Podcast. Episode 34. Today on the Movement of Color Podcast, Byron and I, we talk about Lula. He's free. Crazy, right? Also, on the Movement of Color Podcast, we go over the age-old rebuttals and put-downs and anarchism. My name is Brandon Peyton Carrillo, and let's start. Guess what, Brandon? Uh, Lula is now free from prison. Yay! Yes, uh, so Lula, Lula da Silva... Um, he, the the ex president of Brazil, uh, one of the most popular presidents of Brazil ever, um, you know, both in living and dead memory, uh, is now free from prison after I think it's like five hundred and eighty, like somewhere in the five hundred uh, days of imprisonment uh, of a, of a really bullshit like rat fucking kind of imprisonment where like he just got like everyone came after him, uh, but he held on. And now, after a recent uh, high court ruling in Brazil, the judge basically said, like, yeah, no, this is, like, a total bullshit, like, uh, thing. It's against the law. We need to let him go. Thank God. I know he was met with some fanfare that he was released. A bunch of celebrities and politicians were like, yay, free Lula. Um, man, but how, what's the background on this? Like, why? Well, why like... Oh, so like, yeah, no, the the reasoning of why he was locked up is like a whole big thing that goes back a few years. Um, so the the reason why he was locked up is because he was the most popular, like, you know, politician in, in Brazil by like a landslide. Um, and he was looking to run again, run for president again um, in the last election. Uh, I think like in 20, 2018. And... Uh, the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, 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 the capitalist elite, um, and like the more entrenched kind of like old guard that kind of holdovers from the military dictatorship really did not want that to happen again. So they basically like started targeting, um, they started targeting him and the labor party specifically, um, you know, it, when it, in corruption allegations, um, like they're, you know, Brazil, it's not, it's not unknown. It's kind of like Ukraine where like everyone's kind of corrupt on some, on some level, like it, everybody from every party, from every sector of society, um, is kind of participates in corruption because that's, that's how you get things done. Like if you want anything done, even if it's like, like a objectively good, positive thing, you need to participate in corruption. Otherwise it just won't get done. Uh, so like the big thing that they targeted was Petrobras, which is like the, the nationalized oil company of Brazil and like basically a, a system of kickbacks and much other stuff. Um, that's what they were going after um, during the labor party tenureship. Um, so, uh, but the thing with the targeting Lula specifically was like, I think this like two bedroom apartment that he bought uh, possibly with money from kickbacks. Uh, 
Um, that's ultimately what they went after him for. And they ended up arresting him um, and sending him to jail for like 500, 500 days. Um, the actual arrest was like fucking wild. I remember, I remember when I, uh, I remember like a year ago when I was watching it live, like there was this big standoff where like Lula was basically like in his, like the, the headquarters of the old, um, like, uh, like steel mill workers, like headquarters of the union of the steel workers union. Um, and like, there's just like a fuck ton of people, like thousands of people just surrounding him, like, who like who basically promised, like, yeah, no, we're not going to let the police pass. Um, it was basically, became a standoff. Like, either Lula was going to turn himself in, or, like, the police were going to clamp in and, like, start breaking some heads. And Lula made a decision, like, it's not really worth it to do that. So he ended up turning himself in voluntarily. Um, and he's been in prison. Like, he, he had been in prison ever since. Um, only up until, like, yesterday. Damn. You know, I didn't realize it was over 500 days. But they really, they really wanted that perp walk from him. Yeah, because like, because like, again, there was like a whole election coming up, and it's basically law where if you are in prison, you are not allowed to run for president. Um, you're not allowed to, to run for office in general. Um, so, you know, by doing this, like they essentially deprived the Labor Party, um, like the most popular. It's it's like if um. It's like if, uh, you know, the Republicans uh, arrested, like, Obama right before the 2008 election started, um, you know, because cause they knew he was, like, kind of popular and he's charismatic. Again, he's, like, a once-in-a-generation politician uh, just to deprive the Democratic Party of him. And, like, they had to go with Clinton or something who was, like, objectively worse <laughs> and, like, in, like, fucking every regard. Um, yeah. Basically, like, if, if that was, like, the case here in the United States. Hmm. Damn. So, so in the meantime, so I guess okay. The Labor Party, the, the, the Workers Party, they lost their election because you know Lula was out, and then what happened? What's kind of the narrative as far as in the government? So in the government, um, the the guy who basically like headed up the investigation, it, it was weird because he was both the judge. And the prosecutor <laughs> at the same time, which if uh, for any of you like, you know, law scholars who are listening in or, or anyone even remotely like knowledgeable of law and kind of the, the way it kind of works, that's not really supposed to happen. That's like a uniquely Brazilian thing. Uh, you know, so, you know, the whole judge, jury, executioner should be like all separate. But in this case, it was all one person. So... Hmm. Uh, this guy called Moro um, was kind of heading it, heading it up, um, and he was like really going after the Workers Party and Lula specifically. Like, even though like everybody was kind of implicated in all these corruption scandals, including uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who's like the current president, was like also named in in like the files of like, oh yeah, no, those people are like 100 percent corrupt. <laughs> but he just kind of ignored him, and in fact. Um, when the whole thing ended up wrapping, and like you know, uh, you know, Moro was like known uh, like during the investigation to like to very proficiently use the media to kind of build up public support for his investigations. Um, he was very much a mass media guy. Um, you know, there was all this stuff going around like WhatsApp uh, in in Brazil, where like 
uh, like people were just talking to each other and stuff like that, just like posting memes on that sh- on like WhatsApp and stuff. Um, and he very proficiently used that to his advantage. You know, a- after the whole like coup attempt against uh, like you know the the last president of Brazil, who was also you know she was also a member of the Workers Party. You know, like uh, they're you know in in return for all this like public service or whatever. Like Howard Bolsonaro appointed uh, Moro as the justice minister, basically. Like they, he basically promoted him to attorney general. Mm. Mm-hmm. Dirty shit, dirty shit. Yeah, no, it was, it was dirty shit. It kind of it, it smelled like shit the moment like, you know, he got promoted, and the moment like the media was like very, you know, very good at like doing what he wanted them to do like he didn't have to do all he didn't have to like he would just say jump and the media companies would say how high you know there's a bunch of kind of low-key weird stuff going on that no one could like really put their finger on yet um goes on any like definitive proof of collaboration but actually (laughs) a few months ago uh glenn greenwald and the intercepts um kind of did this huge giant expose where of like you know fucking, like, a year of, you know, investigative journalism, just put it on their website, it was like, and basically came, came to the conclusion that, oh, no, like, the government, like, the, the coup-installed government, the uh, the mass media companies, um, you know, Moro, and, like, a bunch of, and, like, a bunch of other groups, including, you know, a little bit of Howard Bolsonaro before he became president, you know, they were all working, you know, groups of the far right, basically, we're all working together. Uh, we're, they were all basically committing conspiracy. Like they were conspiring together to, um, you know, go after the Workers Party of Brazil and to get Lula in jail. Damn. Like yeah, no, it was like communications. Like where like we were texting each other. They were talking to each other over WhatsApp. They were doing all this like basically like some clear collaboration. Like you know. You know, it's like shit that would like get you arrested. The, the, the kind of shit that that got like Acorn shut down. Like very clear lines of communication that should not that should not be there, but are. But since like you know, Moro is the justice, basically attorney general, and Howard Bolsonaro is president, and like the military is not gonna step in. They they fucking love Howard Bolsonaro. Like nothing's. It looks like nothing's really really is gonna happen to him. Even even with Lula out now. When the judge essentially, you know, looked at all this new evidence and said, like, you know, this is bullshit. And also on top of that, like, people who are still running through their appeals process are still not, like, still don't have to go to jail on top of that. Wow. So it seems like to me, after everything is said and done, Lula got screwed, but beyond him getting out, it really changes nothing. Bolsonaro is not going to be touched. Their government's still going to do the, the same shitty, shitty. <clears throat> yeah, basically. I mean, I, yeah, because, you know, the Workers' Party is not in power. Um, I mean, I don't know if, like, Lula's, you know, because of his time in jail and all the experiences he went through, he's kind of, like, acknowledging that, like, yeah, maybe it's, like, you know, social democracy you know, this kind of, like, uh, social democracy and, like, you know, playing the game, you know, correctly, 
uh, kind of what Yende did is gonna work out and like doesn't really work <laughs> in the long term. Uh, hopefully he realizes that and he starts to realize, okay, no, like, I mean, because again, like, uh, the Workers' Party is basically all the unions of Brazil. Like, that's their main base, kind of like in the Labor Party in the UK. So hopefully he can, like, use that economic muscle and, like, flex it, you know, and stop, you know, and realize that, like, you know, achieving things through state power is temporary because who ultimately occupies the state is, you know, can go back and forth on the whims of voters. So, and, and, I mean, that's what I hope. I hope he realizes that and he starts, like, going more towards, you know, the old school Lula where, like, he was, like, yeah, no, socialism and, like, strikes and all this other cool shit. Um, and before he kind of got assimilated into the kind of, you know, liberal democratic voting machine. Yeah. Where it kind of defanged him a little bit. Oh, no, it, it didn't defang him a little bit. It defanged him a lot. Like, you should look, like, you should you should listen to, like, interviews of Lula, like, before, um, like, before, like, uh, he got, like, before his last uh, run for the president where he actually won, like, where he finally won, he was way more radical than he was now. Wow. Yeah, um, I might have to go YouTube some old videos, brush off my Portuguese and, you know, do that kind of stuff. Um, but, so what are your your takeaways? What do you think are the consequences of Lula being free and maybe even how the U.S. is going to respond? I mean, the U.S., I mean, it's, it's like a known fact that, like, Donald Trump is a big fan of Hal Bolsonaro. They kind of occupy the same kind of illiberal, white, like, right-wing ideology where it's like, it's not overt fascism, but it's like kind of, kind of going close to it. Um... You know, Lula's a big fan of Bernie. Like, if Bernie got elected, probably, like, they would put a lot more... Sorry. Um, like, if Bernie was elected, they'd probably put a lot more pressure on Paulo Bolsonaro in Brazil. Um, he, you know, Bernie's not a really big fan of these, of, like, you know, kind of ex-military strongmen. Yeah. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I don't know if Bernie would go far enough to kind of correct this. Um, so, I, on the foreign policy front, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, depends on how things go, but like on the in the you know, Brazilian domestic front, I mean, with Lula out now, like there's a there's a very clear symbol of like okay, this is this is our guy. You know, he's he's basically the embodiment of like all the good that the Workers Party has done. But the problem is, is that like, if anything, I hope they at least realize the, the problem inherent in having that kind of almost idol like figure. Where if it's like, oh, it's basically one person, and if, like, that person goes to jail, or that person, like, ends up being kind of shitty, or, like, you know, a bunch of other stuff that happens when you have, like, one individual who, like, is kind of the party, um, mm -hmm. you realize that, like, oh, if something happens to that guy, they're fucked. <laughs> like, again, like, just look at what happened with the with election where Hall Bersonar got elected. Like, they had... Uh, they weren't able to do Lula, who was like looked like you know from all the polls, like he was an easy win. It was like sixty percent of the vote, but because he yeah. was in jail, they had to go with this like a replacement dude who no one really knew because he wasn't like a national. Was he wasn't fucking Lula, who they focused all their propaganda and like media stuff, uh, uh, media stuff on. 
So, I mean, I hope they learn that lesson where it's like you can't put all your eggs eggs in one basket. It's like too dangerous. It's basically too risky because, again, like I mentioned before, if something happens to that person or that person ends up to be not as good as you think he was or, you know, you know, you know, happens to all this corrupt stuff like the whole system, like your 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 electoral base will just leave you because they have identified your party and like your ideology with one individual. And if that individual is gone, so is the base. So they need they need to build more leaders. Bottom line. Yeah, I mean, the they, they need to focus on their base. And like showing that up and kind of making it resistance resistant to this kind of rat fuckery because guess what like Lula's free now but like if you think Hal Bolsonaro is gonna stop like he's not like uh, Moro is gonna fucking keep going after uh, work, the Workers Party members and like other pe- other people in the left wing because he's a media hound he loves doing that kind of stuff you know he's a fucking you know he's a lawyer cop that's what they do uh, so again like just. It's something that we're like, it can happen in literally anywhere. We're just using Brazil as a main example. But, uh, you know, this kind of having like a, a small number of people, a clique or whatever, who, you know, you know, represent the party or the group or whatever, or the union or whatever, is inherently dangerous, is inherently risky. Um, even though it's it may seem easier, you're going to get fucked. Well, at least we can re- rejoice, have this small victory that Lula's free. Yeah, Lula is free. All, um, all is not awful in this godforsaken planet. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really don't want Lula to go the way of the end day. <laughs> I don't, I don't want another Chile seventy three. No, that's uh, yeah. We don't want that either. I hope any. Well, there are probably people who do want that, but. Fuck those assholes. Lula's free. I'm just going to celebrate on that. Yeah. Give me a couple days. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So, Byron, I come to you with a scenario. Yes. So, some of my other leftist friends, particularly those who um, identify as Marxist-Leninist, often have a critique of anarchists as not into institutions, against institutions, just want to see the world kind of burn. Yes. I want to have a conversation about the ins and outs of that thinking where there may be some truth, where they get it vastly wrong. And um, hopefully this could be a tool to, you know, shut them the fuck up. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it is a good, it's, it, it's a good thing to talk about because in, I don't know about you, but definitely in my time of being an anarchist, I've had to deal with a lot of people who's only, interaction with anarchism in any real way has been either through uh the media where where anarchists are kind of portrayed as like you know like uh some dude with a top hat a big like fucking coat and like a twirly mustache with like a spherical bomb you know uh trying to like blow something up 
you know, like a very Smiley whiplash. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or like they've only kind of read kind of very, very much like what I consider straw man arguments um, from like Marxist Leninist, uh, like uh, you know, thinkers through the, in the past or present or whatever, um, or just weird po- like posts on the internet. Um, so I've, you know, I've had to like learn a lot about like how to kind of debunk a few of those assertions and they'll, they're probably the big one that you just mentioned is like oh anarchists are just like lone wolves you just want to kind of bring the system down and kind of burn everything to the ground uh and like they're they're hyper individualists um they're not useful they're they they're not capable of really bringing about revolution because they're not willing to work together and all that's like pretty much Except for, like, the whole, like, they want to burn everything to the ground, but that's more metaphorical burning to the ground. <laughs> yes. But, but no, it's, it, a lot of it's kind of bullshit. If you ever interacted with anarchists um, in a real meaningful way, um, those kind of straw man arguments kind of just fade away, almost, like, almost instantly. Um, so one thing, for example, like, the is, oh, anarchists are lone wolves. They just want to do everything alone. And they don't build, they don't like want to work together to create organizations and institutions and yada yada yada. Well, uh, funny you say that because uh, practically every single like anarchist uh, philosopher, anarchist activist um, does things with other people. Like anarchism acknowledges, um, just like Marxism and hell even liberalism to almost to sometimes uh, that we are social creatures who you know work together to get things done you know we, we we literally like need human interaction to like stay sane um at least some degree and anarchists don't don't you know we don't say like oh we're totally lone wolves we're not like um almost like rousseau where like the moment humans start working together everything goes to shit uh no we believe that like we can work together and we can create non-hierarchical institutions and still have a functioning society <laughs> um if you know there's lots of different anarchist organizations um, and institutions that you know, have existed throughout history and currently that involve, by necessity, people working together. Uh, for example, there's, you know, Food Not Bombs, which are, like, a, there's a whole network of people whose whole thing is, like, getting together with comrades and making food <laughs> and, like, protesting war. That's their thing. Uh, and you can't really do that alone because otherwise you would just be one person. There would, there would be no Foods Not Bombs. Uh, for example, you know, there was the anarcho-syndicalists who were basically anarchist, uh, un- like, you know, uh, industrial unionists who would, you know, cr- help, you know, uh, salt um, and, like, form radical labor unions who, by their very nature, are, you know, or- collective organizations of working class people who work under an industry to uh, bargain collectively for better wages, better time, uh, better uh, health and safety standards, and then eventually to kind of overthrow capitalism and institute a communal, like a you know, a communist society, um, as defined by Karl Marx, um, which is like you know abolishing the state, abolishing money, and abolishing uh, private property. Like, uh, so, like on that part, I, you know, that's a fundamental disagreement. That's that's very much like someone's never interacted with any anarchist organization ever. <laughs> All right, so that leads me to another another complaint about anarchists that I've heard, which um, is, to me, like, holy shit, this is a real complaint. 
Anarchists have no praxis or theory behind what they do. Yeah, uh, I mean, someone could just like easily point out like the over 150 years of theory and praxis um, that anarchists have done. Um, hell, even before like the word anarchist even came about, like when the ideas were still like around and even somewhat crystallized as a ideology, it just didn't have the name yet. Um, but you know, that's that. I feel like that's too easy. <laughs> it's <laughs> like uh, read some like Proudhon. That's like that's like 150 years back, and it's kind of been there ever since. Um, no, I mean there there definitely has been a fuck ton of theory. There's been lots of research. Um, you know, like for example, like the, the very, you know, the, the academic institution of geography itself, like, uh, it's, it's a whole academic institution. There's like all this research done. It's, you know, it's like pretty important. Um, it was started by an anarchist, uh, Peter Kropotkin, the anarchist, you know, uh, the anarchist, uh, Russian, um, after, uh, Bakunin, by the way, because there's two, because there's, there's lots of Russian anarchists, but you know, yeah. he, was a scientist and an anarchist um, and a theorist, and he kind of melded the three together to create what is now modern geography. Um, so, you know, it, it's both in the academic um, and kind of literary side. There's also the kind of like, oh, revolution, like the theory about um, the state. Like, if you ever, I really recommend people who say, like, oh, anarchists have no theory. Um, yeah. I really recommend people look at uh, Mikhail Pagunin's God and the State, uh, where it's, you know, he uses anarchism as, you know, an actual properly functioning ideology to analyze both, uh, you know, the Catholic and different Protestant churches, um, you know, because, you know, to a, a quick acknowledgement, yeah, he was in Europe at the time. He didn't really know the rest of the world. Um, but uh, along with the institution of the state. Um, which Marxists kind of do go into, but not to the same degree of cynicism that anarchists have. Um, that's, yeah. Now, isn't it also true that um, Karl Marx was influenced by some of the early anarchist philosophers? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very much a two-way street. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of agreement, like, example, capitalism fucking sucks, and the modern state as it existed then fucking sucked. I mean, they, I mean, the, both sides did, agreed on those kind of principles. Um, and they both wanted, you know, communism. They just disagreed on how, and it just, yeah, they disagreed on the kind of the, the tactics and the strategy of how to get there. Um, so, you know, while Marxists would say, Oh, we need to seize the state apparatus and use it for the working class. Um, anarchists would say, no, the state apparatus is itself um, a kind of perpetuator um, of uh, class hierarchy. And if the working class seized the, the state, it would, over time, eventually create like, an almost, like a bureaucratic class. This is something that uh, Proudhon and Bakunin kind of, you know, my, my opinion, you know, correctly uh, predicted about the USSR where a bureaucratic class uh, within you know within the communist party would kind of take over and just kind of run things and create a new hierarchy based around the state uh, to perpetuate hierarchy so um, but it, but again like there was a lot of back and forth there was a lot of you know dialogue sometimes nice sometimes not nice um, 
but you know like for example peter kropotkin was you know inspired by marx um that's nothing wrong there i mean there's also uh, marxists who were inspired by anarchists that's where like libertarian marxism and that uh, autonomism um, which is a marxist tradition uh, was very heavily inspired by anarchists um so to say that it's it's a total separation um is very much an overgeneralization okay so i want to bring this part of the discussion into the modern age there's a lot of anarchist thinkers anarchist um scholars and professors that are writing books and are actually even celebrated by the wider left as a whole. But I think for some reason they don't understand that those people are anarchists. Um, I just want to kind of name a few. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, and obviously fill in some of the blanks because I'll I'll miss a bunch. Um, But obviously, you know, there's Noam Chomsky who wrote a book on anarchism, uh, which is, one that I read to my child at night. <laughs> and then um, you have folks like that one guy, damn it, Bullshit Jobs. David Graeber. David Graeber. Bullshit Jobs and 5,000 Years, A History of Debt is, are fucking amazing. Read them. <laughs> exactly. Um, Howard Zinn, The Untold History of the United States, that whole series, The People's History of the United States, Untold history, that's a totally different thing. But the people's history of the United States, Howard Zinn, great historian. Um, and there's even a child's version of it, which is cool, and that was also gifted to my child. Um, <laughs> um, we got, um, what's his name, Bray. Mark Bray? Mark Bray. Yeah, the anti-fascist handbook. There we go. Yeah. Also, also so, a really good book. Again, not not a handbook, more of a history, to be honest. <laughs> so there, you know, that's just a few of the modern day folks that are actually perpetuating theory, knowledge, um, and putting them in, in today's context, as opposed to a bunch of people who think the revolution has to come from a party, you know, of the proletariat, a dictatorship of the proletariat, a vanguard party, which last I checked, that was a concept that was developed over uh, 110 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I think to add to the list, um, we can definitely add, um, this is a kind of a controversial, uh, addition on, on my part. I would say Richard Wolff, the the economist the marxist the marxist economist only because a lot of what he talks about is criticisms of state socialism and very much kind of pushing for a more decentralized uh socialism that almost like is on the border of anarchism but there has been instances where people have asked him like oh what do you think of anarchists have you read any anarchists and like he replies that oh he again he he repeats a lot of the same kind of strong man uh, arguments that are more based on ignorance than any real malice. Um, yeah. So, like, Richard Wolf, if by some weird miracle you're listening to this, please read some anarchists. Like, they pretty much agree with you a lot up with you, man. Just d- do us this favor. Like, uh, having holes in your in your knowledge that are like intentional and almost like 
because you just don't want to do it is like not helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I agree with you on it. He's like the anarch, low key anarchist. That doesn't know that he's an anarchist. Yeah. <laughs> again, again, it's a re- that's also that's also the name of a really good pamphlet by David Greger. Is like, oh, you might be an anarchist and not even know it. See, there you go. And but back to Richard Wolf, I, I, I agree so much. Where like almost ninety eight percent of the things that he says on his weekend updates and all that other stuff, I'm like, all right, I'm down with. I get. I don't think he has as much of a commitment to non hierarchical structures, but I think he. I've heard him say something that they're cool. I'd also want to introduce another group of individuals that are kind of anarchists but don't quite know it, or they do know it, but they just kind of don't talk about it as much is um the black uh socialists of america yeah i can kind of see that uh they have a lot of criticisms of you know state socialism and specifically marxist leninist ideology uh particularly in how it's kind of the sometimes colonialist aspect it sometimes takes on and almost nationalist aspects it takes it takes on when it comes to um the west uh, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, Marxist Leninists within the West, at least, um, and how it doesn't necessarily always provide liberation in you know, quote unquote, the third world, um, uh, or the global South, as you know, people usually prefer it nowadays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you go through their, you know, their book list, um, it is full of anarchists, um, theorists, and philosophers, and whatnot. So they definitely are aware of it but you know obviously that's not the name of their group they're not the yeah. black anarchists of america but it's cool that a lot of their praxis and their dual power mapping you know that's all kind of anarchist stuff yeah it's, it's uh, all definitely inspired definitely inspired by anarchists yeah um yeah i mean there's uh there, uh, another kind of straw man argument I really like to kind of debunk right now is, oh, anarchism is a Western white ideology that has no purchase um, in the rest in the non-Western world, which ooh, clearly someone has not you know read any actual history about uh, the non-Western <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, fun fact: like anarchists actually made um, actually were actually the majority in the non-Western world um, in terms of socialists. Um, up to like the 1900s, uh, until until like you know after the Bolshevik Revolution, where kind of Marxist-Leninism kind of took over, you know through a mixture of because like the Mar- you know the USSR was the one providing funding, um, uh, because they had literally a whole fucking chunk of the world from which to extract resources. Um, <laughs> uh, you know they were incredibly sectarian in that they would like, um, you know like whenever like a ml state would pop up in the global south they would not only like go after reactionaries and liberals but they would also go after anarchists um who agreed on like yeah no socialism is cool but like would disagree with um the one party states um the kind of like the fact that like oh it's this just seems like the military just took over and kind of is just using like the communist aesthetic to institute a military dictatorship (laughs) you know stuff like that um Mm -hmm. You know, like the so you know, it's a it's it's a bit of a mixture of that where like anarchism has been kind of almost intentionally hunted down and exterminated. Um, you know, just for example, you can look at Korea, where like Korea and like hell, East Asia 
in general, like East uh, East Asia and like the Middle East, actually had pretty significant uh, anarchist anarchist uh, populations. But you know, but then you know the Japanese Empire happened, and anarchists were very heavily hunted down in uh, Imperial Japan, uh, within the home island specifically, and like murdered because they tried to like kill the emperor. Because uh, they were like some hardcore motherfuckers, like Japanese. Yeah. But that's like Japanese socialism in general. They're like they crank, they they crank that propaganda of the deed up to, up to eleven. Um, if you if we, if we want to listen to that old episode, yeah. Uh, but you know there was literally like a whole there was like a whole autonomous commune within like Manchuria of Korean refugees that were you know that had anar- the Korean Anarchist Federation. Um, they you know during the nineteen like twenties, uh, early nineteen twenties they carved out all territory for themselves that ultimately was taken down by you know the imperial army of japan um the republic of china the ussr and you know the communist party of china like basically kind of like without openly talking about it like they worked together to crush this territory uh they all participated in like the killings um you know so there there is Anarchism is not just a white ideology. Um, you know, East Asian anarchism was very heavily inspired by Taoism and Buddhism that had very kind of like anti, you know, very much a strong anti-authoritarian, um, anti-imperial kind of thought laid into it. You know, like uh, Mahatma uh, Gandhi, you know, who has a lot of criticisms about Gandhi. Uh, yes. He, you know, especially with his racism and yes. maybe being a pedophile. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's a whole other thing. Uh, you know, he was very much inspired by anarchism. So were a lot of uh, people in the Indian independence movement um, who saw it not as like a nationalist independent movement, but more as an anti-imperialist movement. Uh, Bhagat Singh, who was like this famous um, kind of like, you know, propaganda of the, of the deed hero in, in, in India, specifically in Northwest India, you know, was very heavily inspired by what was just as much inspired by anarchism as he was by um, Leninism. You know, like it's to, to view it as as kind of wholesale, like, oh, um, every black and brown person, uh, you know, you know, everyone who isn't white is an ML. You know, if they're a socialist is kind of a a very shitty and almost like kind of racist view <laughs> of, yes. of, of people of color. I mean, just assuming that we're all one thing and like, there's no internal, you know, ethnic, linguistic, social gender or ideological differences within people of color is like kind of fucked up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even, 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 even if we're talking about, you know, modern day, there's the Bengal Anarcho Syndicalist Federation, um, and a lot of them were former Leninists, like were like former communists, to complain about like how the the uh, the Communist Party in Bengal was like going nowhere, and it was just like people just giving them fucking orders, um, and how the leadership was like totally, um, you know, immune from any real criticism because they controlled the party and it was very top down, and they couldn't really do anything, and they just ended up reading a bunch of uh, like anarcho syndicalist literature. And they're like, you know what? This might be a better way because it's bottom up. It includes uh, it's bottom up. It includes a lot more autonomy. Um, it let us give us the flexibility to do what we need to do. Um, and you know, it, and it's going strong. It's growing. Um, you know, there's uh, you know all the anarchist organizations in Latin America, in Chile uh, specifically, where they have a very strong anarchist kind of 
influenced student uh, like student organization um, where like they do like fucking every weekend there's like riots <laughs> and like protests that the police try to clamp down through force. All right. Well, that it brings me to I think maybe our last criticism of the the day. I often hear, and this is from all over the political spectrum. So I'm not I'm no longer picking on MLs anymore. <laughs> you know, I love MLs. Got some disagreements, a lot of disagreements, but generally, some of my friends are MLs. Just don't gulag us. That's all we ask. (laughs) Yeah, just don't do gulag us. We would really work really well with you guys if you happen to capture state power. So just, you know, (laughs) use us, but not abuse us. Uh, um, But anyway, is that, oh, anarchism works in theory, but it can never work in a functioning society. I yeah. think there's a lot of situations where that's not the case. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, some, it's something that's definitely trotted out by Marxist-Leninists um, where it's like, oh, anarchism has never succeeded. And it's like, okay, well, like, there's a lot of examples where Marxism did not succeed at all. Um, you can look at Germany. You can look at, you can look at Hungary. You could look at um, a good number of, uh, the, you know, uh, the global south where, like, they tried and it just didn't work because they got crushed by U.S.-backed imperialism. Um, mm-hmm. Where, you know, like, or you can look at anarchism where it's like, okay, there have been attempts, but, like, the context, I mean, the USSR and the Republic, of, uh, the People's Republic of China succeeding and, like, seizing state power and, have and like, lasting as long as they did, you know, as long as the USSR did, which did ultimately fail, and the PRC, which ultimately just became a capitalist nation <laughs> uh, that likes the color red. I mean, they have like, you know, communist billionaires, which come on, uh, you know, like they it was very much a mixer of everything just kind of lining up and being incredibly lucky and making the right decisions at the time. Um, you know, people think revolution is nothing but like, oh, every, you know, you have to have the right theory. Um, everyone needs to like follow orders and stuff uh, from the top down because you know it needs to be structured and organized. Like no, a lot of it is just like plain luck and uh, the opposition, like the the status quo, uh, fucking up really badly <laughs> when it comes to revolution. Uh, revolutions are fucking hard, and most revolutions fail. Uh, so you know, like for example, anarchist Catalonia, it's like yeah, uh, you can make criticisms where like they didn't. Uh, you know, one mistake they probably did was like they didn't totally like abolish the state within within like Eastern Spain because they believe that working because the leadership uh, believed that like working together with uh, the rest of the Popular Front was better. Like they didn't want to alienate the rest of the Popular Front. They didn't want they didn't want to create a three way war, which probably would have resulted in the fascists winning even faster. Uh, you know, Nestor Macno, um, he was ultimately within the very deindustrial unindustrialized agrarian. Um, kind of breadbasket of the old Russian Empire, um, and they had difficulty obtaining weapons and ammunition, um, and also they were a fully volunteer army, which still swelled up to a pretty good, ta- uh, pretty good number. But also they were like blatantly betrayed and stabbed in the back by Bolsheviks um, when you know they were working together. Like without um, you know the Black Army of the Ukraine, you know Moscow would have fallen to Denikin's and to they would have fallen to Denikin, who was part of the White Army, who was coming in from the south. Uh, Macno cut off the supply line, fucked up, uh, fucked him up in the back, and like 
you know, Moscow was saved because of it. And in return, uh, the Bolsheviks uh, gathered all the black army officers and killed them in a meeting and then went after Macno. And Macno was very luckily enough able to escape to France. Uh, you know, so... It, and, you know, I already gave the example of uh, the Shinmen Autonomous Zone in Manchuria with the, with the Korean Anarchist Federation. And this is, like, a story that's kind of happened multiple times. Like, um, anarchists yeah. have reached out to Marxist Leninists in good faith, um, or at least as much good faith as they're willing to allow, um, and they kind of get fucked over for it. Um, so, like, a lot of anarchists today have a lot of kind of, like, kind of justified, in my opinion, um, apprehension. Uh, about uh, you know m- you know more authoritarian more kind of statist Marxist organizations in general. Um, there's a reason there's a bit of there's skepticism and kind of animosity between the groups. It didn't just happen overnight. It wasn't just you know Marx and Bakunin uh, shit talking each other in books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this um, this hip hop rap diss battle has been going on for generations, and there's a lot of bad blood. Yeah. Um, Kind of like, kind of like, uh, kind of like rappies. Like it started off with like people just giving, you know, some pretty good dunks um, in their lyrics, but eventually it turned into like people shooting each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of hard to come back from that. It really is, and there has to be some type of reconciliation. I'm, and I think our show is kind of about reconciliation because we, even though we are kind of more on the libertarian socialist you know, spectrum when it comes to our own personal ideologies, we kind of discuss it all in some ways. And we try to celebrate it all because we all kind of share a commonality in the idea that uh, capitalism sucks. Yeah. And like also the, the U S left in particular is incredibly small and the U S left when it comes to people of color in in the United States is also incredibly fucking small. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So why why cut us up into little bitty bits and pieces even further? That's kind of stupid. It's it's, just um, a, it's, a, it's really a matter of are the different groups willing to work in good faith and like um, are they not willing to you know actively try to piss each other off? Um, and it is again it's it's a very difficult thing to do because of the long history um, of of you know this debate of of this fight over who is the the dominant socialist ideology. And you know what? This is a slight tangent. You know, I don't think there has to be a dominant socialist ideology. I think, hey, you know, at this one place, like northern Syria, can create a libertarian socialist um, haven and do their thing. Let them do their thing. Support that. If someone wants to do the more, you know, traditional... Marxist Leninist route, um, sure. Why not? Hopefully, you don't really oppress your people and do some fucked up shit. You know, if you want to go the more, you know, Dem- democratic so- socialist, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, like a, a socialist, like a multi-party parliamentary republic that abolished capitalism. Yeah, perfect. I am on board with that. Um, and we could do that, and we can stick together in solidarity, and we can sing "Kumbaya" and other songs of unity and brotherhood and sisterhood and all the other kind of hood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably not going to happen not in our lifetime. 
Hopefully. I mean, I mean, to be honest, like we're probably the last lifetime where it can actually happen before the climate change kills us all or, or like just cause everything to collapse. <laughs> yeah. And we're Fingers crossed, years. folks. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, Byron, I think that was a wonderful journey. Yes, it, it was. Thank Th- you. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs> gang we reached the end of another episode just remember to follow us on twitter at movement underscore color and check out our patreon page at patreon.com backslash movement of color we got a lot of cool stuff up there for you for all member levels and um with that my name is brandon payton Carrillo, and um adios next time see you later have fun Color. Come back again. The movement of color.